John 10, starting at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have come and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, lovely to see you all. Uh, if I haven't met you properly before, my name's Jono. Um, and during the week, I am a, a chaplain at a school called St. Catherine's, um, which is a high school for girls. Uh, and so I've preached today, and it's originally a script from that context. Um, and so I've reworked everything because you're not all 13-year-old girls, but there's a little bit of that flavor in there as well. Uh, now, we're looking at John 10 today. And as we start, I'm just going to pray um, that God would help us to focus and learn from his word. So please join me as we pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you so much that you're a God that... Um, wants to have a relationship with us, uh, that loves us so deeply. Um, We pray that we would be drawn in by just how incredible you are today, uh, that you would encourage us and challenge us as we read your word and we think through it. 
Amen. Now, John 10 is a pretty incredible passage. Uh, There's so many ideas that we could explore, but what we're going to do today is we're going to focus particularly on how Jesus speaks of himself as our good shepherd, the one we should follow, the one we should listen to. And he speaks of us as his sheep. He makes this comparison between us and sheep in the sense that sheep are followers. Here's an example of what happens if you just let a sheep just roam on its own without a shepherd to lead them. And so for better or for worse, uh, sheep follow. Um, For example, here's another news report I found. It's from 2005. Now, there was a sheep which decided, sadly, to walk off a cliff, a 20-meter cliff. Um, We'll see if we can get to that next slide. Um, The rest of the flock then decided to follow that sheep off the cliff. One after another, the sheep continued to fall off the cliff, just following each other blindly. Now, fortunately, actually, most of the sheep survived the fall because there was this sort of blanket of sheep there to catch them after a few of them. (laughs) Now, duck, but you get the point, don't you? You get the point. The sheep are followers. But Jesus points out that we are followers too. Now, just quickly, uh, on the slides, the clicker isn't quite working. Um, Would you be able to get the script that's just in front of you on the floor, behind the computer, and then just follow along with me? Thank you. Uh, So, the point is uh, that Jesus gets that sheep are followers, and Jesus makes the point in John 10 that we are followers too. Now, we're not following for grass. That's not our goal in life. What is the goal of the human experience? What are we seeking in life? Well, it's, it's an understanding of, of who we are, our meaning or a purpose in life. It's satisfaction and security. And where do we look, naturally? Where do we, where do we tend to look? Well, there's a few ideas that we generally look to, to give our lives meaning and purpose. Hear me out on this. I want to see if any of these options might resonate with you personally. Firstly, a big one that we follow for our search for meaning in life is the things we have. Let's call this one the consumer. We follow the idea that we'll feel satisfied if you just have the latest phone, if you follow the latest trends, if you have the nicest clothes, or maybe it's you'll be happy if you have a nice car or a spacious home with sea views, or you go on nice holidays to exotic locations. It's the things we have which will make us feel complete and secure. Maybe maybe you sense that that might be something you're following, but maybe not. Maybe for you, maybe you're the achiever. You follow the idea that meaning and satisfaction is found in achievements. Your life will have meaning when you study that impressive degree at uni, or you'll be fulfilled when you have that high-paying job at that prestigious company. You'll be content when you get that promotion. You're recognized for your brilliance. You look at people who have statues of them, and you think, that was a worthwhile life. Because life will be complete when you're known and you're remembered for your contribution to the world. Then your colleagues will respect you, your friends will admire you, your family will be proud of you. Maybe that's you. Another option is uh, what I like to think of as the Labrador. You follow the idea that life is all about relationships. You'll feel validated by the number of friends you have or how often they want to actually hang out with you and see you. Or maybe for you it's particularly about a romantic relationship. 
Your purpose in life is to find the one, that partner who will complete you. And your goal in life is to have anywhere between two and ten perfect little children, and you'll give them probably new age names drawn directly from a herb garden. We've got things like Sage and Jasmine and Rosemary and Bailey and Basil. Your life will be all about family. As they succeed in life, you'll feel satisfied. Even as, they grow, as you grow old, you'll be surrounded by family who love you. For some of us, that's what the perfect life is all about. It's relationships. Well, there's one more option. This is an option I find really powerful personally. It often, uh, in my environs, it's got images of friends and sunsets. Maybe there's an acoustic guitar in a combi van somewhere. It's the idea that life is all about freedom. Maybe you're what I think of as the free spirit. What do you think of that idea? Are you chasing a place where you're, just, you're totally free to live life as you want to live it? There's no boss to tell you what to do. Maybe the image of the good life in your mind is one of just a slow morning in your favorite armchair with a coffee, the freedom to choose whether you travel the world to your heart's content or just stay put and watch Netflix. Maybe you see people, maybe you don't. Maybe you're productive, maybe you're not. You'll be satisfied when you're just totally free from any obligation. I want to suggest that whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, we follow, we put our hope in something as we seek meaning and purpose in our lives. In this area of life, it's just very human to follow. And in John 10, Jesus uses an image of sheep and their shepherd to express this. And in John 10, Jesus invites us to follow him, to look to him for meaning and fulfillment in our life, to look to Jesus the way a sheep looks to their shepherd. Now, I think a really big question is, well, why look to Jesus for meaning rather than anywhere else? What makes him better? And we'll get there. But first, let's figure out what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. What does that even mean? Well, Jesus tells us himself. In verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. To be part of Jesus' flock is to listen to his voice and follow him. It's to trust that he really is good and really does want what is best for you. It's to make Jesus the center of your life, the way a sheep's entire life revolves around their shepherd that they're following. It's to make Jesus your top priority in life, more than yourself, more than anyone or anything else. And I wonder, which aspect of your life do you find hardest to prioritize Jesus in? Hardest to trust that he really does want what is best for you, like a good shepherd. And often I think it's going to be linked to what we hope will fulfill us. For you, is it, is it your money? Do you find it hard to be generous with what you have and trust that God will give you what you need? Is it your relationships? Do you find it hard to believe that a relationship with Jesus is actually enough to satisfy you? Is it your time and your energy. I really struggle with this one. Do you find yourself at, at moments even resenting when you're asked to sacrifice your time to serve others or to be present at church or wherever it looks like? To follow Jesus is to center your life on Jesus. To follow Jesus is to recognize that Jesus is enough. His death in your place is enough to fix your relationship with God on its own. And he alone is enough to satisfy you both now and forever. 
Now, that's a really big call, right? Why would you do that? Why follow Jesus as you pursue meaning and purpose and satisfaction and security rather than looking to the stuff you own or achievements or relationships or the idea of freedom or comfort? Well, John 10 is going to give us four reasons to look to Jesus rather than anywhere else. Now, I know we usually do sort of sets of three points at church, but we're going to do four this time. Stick with me. They're in the outline there, but if you're a note taker, what we're going to cover is uh, four points. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus gives eternal life. Jesus gives security. And Jesus knows what is best for you. So that's where we're going. And I hope you'll see that Jesus is just so much better than any of those other things we tend to look to for fulfillment in life. Now, the first reason why Jesus is the one worth following is found in verse 11 to 13. Uh, Let's have a read there. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, the one that the sheep follow. And he is the shepherd who will give up his life to save his sheep from the wolf. He's like the lifeguard saving the child at the beach. The firefighter running into the burning building to save a family. But actually, I think it's even more than that. Because Jesus isn't just risking his life for the sheep. He is rescuing the sheep with the certainty that it will cost him his life. And that's an image of what Jesus has done for us. We were cut off from God because of our choice to ignore and reject him. Ephesians 2 is a passage in the Bible that really powerfully expresses this. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We had bought the lie of the wolf, Satan. We rejected God and chased our own desires. We were dead in our sins, deserving of wrath, according to verse 3 there, for how we'd ignored our God. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life on the cross to pay our penalty and to save us from spiritual death. He faced the wrath, the judgment that we deserved for rejecting God. And this shows us that Jesus is trustworthy. Imagine how deep a shepherd's love for his sheep must be for him to willingly give up his life for them. What does that say about your worth and your value in Jesus' eyes? How good is it to follow someone who you know loves you to the point of death? And Jesus' love for you means that you can trust him. Jesus is trustworthy. Now, for the consumers among us who look to the things that we have to satisfy us, we listen to the advertisers who promote new devices and new homes and new experiences that will fulfill us. But what makes us think that these advertisers are trustworthy? What makes us think that they actually have our best interests at heart? Jesus proved that he has our best interest at heart when he died on the cross for us. Jesus is trustworthy. 
But secondly, Jesus is able to give eternal life. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time really focusing in on verses 28 to 30 in John 10. So join me in verse 28. It's up on the screen as well. Jesus says that this of his sheep in verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The fact of the matter is, all these things apart from Jesus that we might look to for meaning and purpose in life, whilst they're good things to enjoy, they've got an expiry date of 80, maybe 100 years tops. And we tend to ignore that reality of death, but for just a moment, can we acknowledge that death is a reality for all of us? Now, to really drive this point home, I found an aging app uh, which delivers really terrifying results. So here's the reality of what's coming for our ministry trainee, Jasper. Um, he is going to age, and he'll still be dancing at weddings. Uh, here's the reality for our minister, Andy. Um, isn't it amazing how Miri still looks so young in that other photo? There we go. The point is, age and death, they're a reality. And so consumers, the stuff we own will rot and decay. The car will rust. The house will fall apart. The holiday will end. And none of these things can actually be enjoyed when we die. The Labrador is looking to relationships for fulfillment. All of us will grow old. And with that, with that, death will actually end relationships in this life. Even relationships that we look to as really deep, like marriage, they sort of recognize that natural limitation of relationships in this life. In the vows it says, as long as we both shall live. For the achievers among us who want to be remembered for their contribution to the world, can you tell me who this person is here? Does anyone know who his face will pop up on the screen here? Anyone know who this is? If you did, I'd be very impressed. Anna knows it. Excellent. Excellent. Anna, you can confirm for us. This is... It's not Nelson Mandela. It's a guy called Louis Latimer. Now, I'd never heard of him before this. He's the child of a slave who overcame the odds to exceed in his field. He helped to invent the telephone and the light bulb. He contributed to the harnessing of electrical energy. This is, I reckon, like the best part. He invented an early form of the flush toilet. Can you imagine a world without Louis Latimer and his flush toilet? This guy's a big deal, and we've never heard of him. Or closer to home, you have 16 great-great-grandparents. How many of their names do you know? The thing is, time and death is the great defeater of all these things we look to for fulfillment in life. Jesus is unique in being able to offer us life with him forever, for eternity. Thirdly, Jesus gives security. Now, I wonder if you've ever felt like a bad Christian. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever felt like you don't have the faith and the goodness of those people around you at church? Like you're not good enough for Jesus. You're not the most impressive sheep in Jesus' flock, you could say. But the... <laughs> But the thing is, sheep are not impressive and capable, are they? They're dependent. All they do is follow and listen and occasionally walk off cliffs. But notice in verse 28, Jesus is the one who gives his sheep eternal life. He gives it, and no one can snatch them from his hand. If you make that choice to follow Jesus, 
And primarily, it's, just, it's not about you being good enough. It's not about you holding on to Jesus well enough. God is holding on to you. And he is greater than all. Regardless of how impressive you are or aren't, you are secure in his hand. I guess you put it like this. Jesus is worth following because what he offers is received, not achieved. What he offers is received, not achieved. And that is actually totally unique. Seeking meaning anywhere else puts an enormous pressure on you to perform. And if you think about the achiever for a moment, what happens if you don't perform to the level required for that promotion? Or even if you do get there, you get that promotion, what happens if you can't perform to that high standard year after year after year? Well, suddenly that reputation and that legacy is in danger. And what an immense pressure to carry. The, the pressure of the potential of fulfillment or failure on your own shoulders. Jesus is worth following because what he offers is received, not achieved. It's secure regardless of your performance. For the Labrador, what happens when your friend or your spouse let you down? They don't meet your expectations. Or I wonder if you've ever felt this, the need to sort of hide your needs or your flaws in a relationship so that they'll stick around, that they'll want to be friends with you. In contrast, in Jesus, you have a relationship which is not based on your performance, but instead is given to us as an undeserved gift in full awareness of our flaws. Jesus is worth following because relationship with him is received, not achieved. It's secure. For the free spirit, I think this is where the hope of freedom or experience or comfort really exposes itself as a bad master to follow because we're seeking freedom and yet actually become enslaved to that next weekend, that next day at home, that next trip down the coast, that next overseas experience. And whilst those experiences, they actually do sort of fill up that satisfaction bucket a little bit, well, the reality we experience is sooner or later you need that next thing. Isn't it true that you come back from a holiday tired and in need of a holiday? And what happens, what happens if you get sick? Or what happens when you get older? Suddenly you're not as free to do the things you love doing. If your identity is wrapped up in sort of freedom and comfort, what happens to your identity then? Does life lose its meaning as you get older or frailer or more restricted? There's actually nothing secure or guaranteed when you place your hope in freedom and comfort. Can you see how putting your hope and security in these things, it actually leads to a life of anxiety and pressure. Jesus offers the only identity which is received, not achieved. Jesus gives security. And finally, our last point, you're doing really well. Jesus is worth following because he knows the way that is best for you. Now, it's always really genuinely freaked me out a lot that the people who created social media platforms, they actually pay like heaps of money to send their kids to schools where there's no phones and there's no social media. It freaks me out because they created social media. That means they know it better than anyone else. And so what must they know that makes, it think, makes them think that for their children is best that they don't have social media at school? Now, in the same way, in verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says that he is God. Jesus says that he is the creator of the entire universe. 
And so just as it would make sense that the creators of social media would know how social media works, it would make sense that Jesus, the creator of the world, knows how the world works best. And so surely he's actually in the position to offer life in abundance, as he promises us in verse 10. Could I ask you just to consider for a moment that the wisdom of the creator is worth following. The wisdom of the creator is worth following, even above the wisdom of celebrities or advertisers, above the wisdom of our colleagues, our friends, and our parents. Jesus knows how the world works better than anyone else. And Jesus, the creator, tells us that he is the one we should follow. It's like a a shepherd who knows how the world works and leads his sheep to safety and life. To reject him and go elsewhere would be like a sheep seeking freedom from their shepherd. That's not true fulfillment. It's folly and it's danger. Jesus alone gives us life in abundance because he is our creator and he knows what is best for us. And so Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He loves them to the point of death on the cross. He's trustworthy. He offers eternal life and security, and he knows what is best for you. Jesus is the one truly worth following in our pursuit of meaning and purpose and fulfillment and security in life. If you're not following Jesus, would you consider accepting Jesus' invitation to follow him? What's stopping you from following Jesus? And to those of us that are following Jesus, well, how good is that? I hope you're feeling encouraged this morning uh, to keep following Jesus, to trust his wisdom, even if the world thinks you're silly or crazy for following him. And I wonder what stood out to you. Possessions, achievements, relationships, freedom and comfort. Have you noticed ways in which You're tempted to follow other things and find it hard to trust that Jesus really is the way to life in abundance. How might you take steps to push back against this temptation and stick to Jesus? I know a family who often remind each other of Jesus' words. Uh, They say, moths and rust destroy when they see each other becoming attached to their possessions. Knowing the Bible actually helps them to keep following Jesus. Another friend of mine, he's, um, he's a bit of a baller, he has a high-paying job, and he'll often be very upfront with his spending, which is heartbreaking when you hear it, but he'll often ask questions about how he can use his, world, his wealth to actually honour Jesus rather than just chase after possessions, because he sees that as a real challenge. Maybe you need to be more open with others about where you're at with these things. I reckon these would be really great questions to ask each other after church when we're having a coffee afterwards. Uh, But for now, let's pray. Uh, Dear God, we thank you so much that you are our good shepherd. Thank you that you're trustworthy and you're powerful enough to give us security and life forever. Please hold on to us. Amen.